but just a pitch for Thursday morning Eucharist. You may not even know that Thursday morning Eucharist exists, but it's grown to 40 or 50, 60 people now. But Pastor Nelson gave the most, the, the sermons are only about 200 words. We aim at 200 words. His sermon yesterday was the most brilliant thing on biblical economics. It was the most brilliant thing. I mean, and it basically boils down to this. If, you, if you've never thought about this, I mean, this is what I always enjoy when, when a bright guy says something in a way that is so clear and you haven't maybe thought of it before. But he basically, this is basically what he said. In the world, we have economics to make money. In the scriptures, we have economics to build community. It's a completely different way of thinking about the world. So what happens is it's not really easy, and we talked about this later, about how you make these transfers from economics of the scriptures into the world. But they, they basically are... People who are always looking for biblical principles. Part of the problem with biblical principles is we don't live inside the pages of the Bible, you know. And even the Israelites struggled to live inside the pages of the Bible. But it's a, it a fascinating thing if you rethink everything like this. So if you rethink how you shop, not in terms of how, how you save money, but if you rethink, if you say to yourself, how do I build community as I shop? I mean, this just becomes like falling off a log. I mean, it just is the most obvious thing you do. And Jesus then comes, it makes complete sense when Jesus comes and says, feed the poor, and he's always hanging around with the poor. Or when Jesus comes, remember, he offends everybody. When He's, he's always at table. He's always at a meal. Why does he offend everybody? Because he always lifts up the tent flaps and lets everybody come in. And then people say, these people are poor and stinky and unemployed, and we don't really like them. And Jesus is like, hey, you're my best friend. You know. Now, why is that? Because Jesus has a very different idea of what, the economic structure should be. It's, it's intended to build community and welcome people in as opposed to gate the community and p- keep people out. It's a very, but if you just sort of, the great thing is if you can just sort of think simply about what the scriptures say, then you're presented with very clear choices about what to do. And you can see, I can, I can say that to you without giving you any sort of political advice or strategy or telling you who to vote for. You know, all of that, you know, what basically as a Christian you're trying to do is build community and extend mercy to the world. It's very clear that what Christians are supposed to do, and you see it in the person of Jesus. So thanks for doing that. And, and you all, I mean, I'll just say this. I mean, we were talking a little bit about this upstairs, but, you know, there are very good people in this congregation who haven't had jobs, who have lost jobs, who are struggling a little bit. Um, some people struggling a lot, you know. So what's the antidote to that as a community? The antidote to that is faithfulness. You just keep doing the things that you keep doing. Now, people get a little afraid, and they can't quite remember their lines, and sometimes they can't find the church door, and they get a little snippy. And, but part of that is you just have to remember what people are up against. And what you're trying to do is build a community where people can be honest enough to say, this is really painful for us, somebody is really sick, we've lost a job, even we need food. And with discretion, the community sort of cares for that. Um, people regularly rebel against. What happens often when people are hurting or when they're suffering um, is that they, de- they default to original sin rather than their sanctification. Or they, they act like the way the rest of the world works rather than the way the church works. And um, that's a that's you know that's a, a sadness that we understand, but insofar as all of you can act as Christians when the chips are down, um, difficult times, you know, really do reveal what people are made of. You know, it is true in some sense that it makes people. This would be the Bible study for Sunday morning with James, where he talks about how difficult times make you into a person, but they also reveal a lot about what people are like, and so. Um, this would be a good time for us to sort of kind of show our colors. So just just kind of think about that. And if you're around for the Eucharist, I mean, if you're up at 7.40 on Thursdays, you should come around. It's very interesting. Yes, please. 7.40, yeah. It's a very, it's 20 minutes. We're, the teachers have to be in the rooms by 8.05. So we're, I mean, we're very, we start exactly on time and we end at 8, bang on. Um, but it's a very, it's one of the best, things going. There is incense, just so you know if you're sensitive. And it's in the dark, so bring your readers uh, if you need it. But by now, most people have it by memory. So you can do it. You can do it without it. You know, the kids are very quiet, in fact. Um, 
You got my note. Yeah, good. I didn't hear you. I was thinking about something else. What did you say? <laughs> yeah. They're different. They're different. Well, <clears throat> well, the other thing is, is, yeah, well, here's the thing, man. I was thinking about this, to, I was thinking about this today, which is they, they're beginning to, they're so familiar now, they begin to play jokes on us. Like yesterday, they turned the lights down low, too low for us to read. And then, I mean, you know, <laughs> that's fun. That's a fun joke on the old pastor. <laughs> or, or the like, uh, <laughs> they, it's beautiful because you just have the morning sun coming through the stained glass. And then they're like, can we, can we take the incense up into through the school today just for fun? I'm like, not unless the school nurse is present for all those kids will be coming down going, <laughs> but you see, of course, that's part of the fun, you see, is that they... Well, there's way, ways people make funny, and then there's ways people make funny. The one way of loving you is to sort of send you up in the, uh, according to your business, which is different than sort of just having it run at you. So anyway, all of that is a diversion. Let me see if I can, if I, well, maybe I should ask you. If I was going to ask you, and part of this is, is you, you need to, to, to kind of learn and grow, I mean, what you need to do is be able to sort of synthesize things in your head. If I was going to ask you just to tell me where we've been in five lines or less, can you do that? And could you tell me why? I'm just curious. In this book. In this book. So part of it is the reason to be. You know, why, why this book at this time? Or what, what's his point? Because now things are going to, should be, become much more familiar to you. But there was a reason that things were so unfamiliar to begin. Good. So there's voices. Good. That's right. Even non-believers hear them. So you have these voices going on in your head. Right? All right. Justice, spirituality, community. Let's go with community since that's familiar. It's just a different term in beauty. All right, so that's, that's part of it. Okay. Now, there could be others. This is just sort of, this sort of just generally giving you a broad, wow, I wrote downhill. Uh, they just, they just, that's just sort of your general way, okay? So, so you know, you ask yourself, um, okay, well, I should, I should not talk. I should listen. So, so what's the point of that? Why pay any attention to these voices? Why does this matter? Right? Pulling in. I didn't hear the last word. Okay. Sorry. That might. Right. No, you wouldn't be. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Dissatisfaction has two S's or one? I think so too. Part of the point was to make you a little bit uncomfortable. 
And perhaps we described that in a way that was too philosophical. But we also tried to describe it in a way that you read about in the newspaper. If you've paid any attention to the church uh, or the world in the last 20 years, this is the biggest topic going on right now in theology. Anybody who talks about church always talks about spirituality now. The problem is we don't like the answers very much, but that's what we talk about. Okay, what else? Now let's put Carol on the board. So here's Carol. Uh, and yet it does. So, one of the troubles with the church, and I tried to shake you out of this early on, is that the church um, regularly thinks it's about me or about us or about our community. But what we always have to remember is that the boundaries of our community are meant to be very porous. You know? We have a very wide open immigration policy. In fact, one of your uh, questions before. I wish I wish I would have started, you know, 10 years ago. I should have said it this way. Um, I don't necessarily want to go back to this now, but I will go back to it anytime you want, which is my goal in life would be to commune every last person in the world. So start with this as your goal in life, that every person everywhere would get the Eucharist. Then we should ask questions after that about what that means, okay? Because part of the problem with your question Part of the problem, not with your question, but with what underlies your question, is that the, the question has not been very set very well in the last 50 years of, or 100 years of the Lutheran Church. It's part of our problem. In fact, many questions are, have to be rethought, and if, if the Lutheran Church doesn't keep up with it, there won't be a Lutheran Church. So that's part of the payoff here. So here's the thing. What, what the Church always needs to remember, it's always... Everybody, everywhere, else. And it's the else bit that we always forget because we start to talk about everybody everywhere being us here. Okay? So one has to say, this is what Christ tells us to do. This is just basically Matthew 28. Teach everybody everywhere to treasure things up. We presume that in the church. And then, the next thing um, after that, everybody, everywhere else, there's been this tremendous change. See, the problem is, is you're going to find this thing right here very difficult to do if you don't hear voices. Because everybody else in the world is hearing voices. And if you're not hearing voices, it doesn't mean you're a bad person or, you know, your life is ruined or anything. It's just that you won't be very effective in the task that the Lord has given you to do. Now, we did, of course, give this um, sort of a philosophical definition, but here's the thing. This is how everybody is talking. If you have a freshman who went to college this year, they're going to come home talking about postmodernism. They might even talk about post-postmodernism, which is already being talked about 10 years ago in academics. So when your kid comes home and thinks, one of the things that we got in the letter, they said, don't expect to recognize your kid when your kid comes home from the university at the first break. Can you remember coming home from the university at your first break? Can you remember? Can you remember what you were like? You were horrible. <laughs> no, you weren't? Well, you were... Oh, yes, oh, yes, right. Yes, sorry, sorry. I, I, I only think for yourself. Speak for yourselves. Yes, yes, right. So here's the thing. So partly what we've tried to do is Jesus gives the church a task to do. The church's, the church's task is unchanging. The church's task is unchanging. But the world in which the church lives changes constantly. And we just happen to be on the cusp of a change that, that really when you... Well, I'm really interested in history when we, I'm interested in a lot of things, but one of the really interesting things about history is when you start to say things have changed like they haven't changed in 300 years. That's a very interesting thing. You know, the Reformation, things changed like they hadn't changed for 800 or 1,200 years. This is some strikingly interesting changes. So you live in this very time of interesting change 
And this, here's the thing, you're going to be very uncomfortable. Because the things you used to think were true and the things you used to count on and your way of making it, it's like when they do road construction, you have to find a new way home. You know, or they close, the, you have to find a new way home. That's uncomfortable for a while. I bet most of you could drive home today with your eyes closed. When you drive home today, you're going to drive and you're not going to pay any attention. Okay? You're not going to pay any attention. You're going to think about a hundred other things unless the road's blocked and then suddenly you have to think about how to get home. Okay, so this is a very easy, I mean, so, so Christ tells us what we're supposed to be doing. We need to do it in this world, but uh-oh, the world has changed suddenly. And, you know, our enthusiasm for that is not unbridled, but it's very high. Like, I love postmoderns because they're, they, they're interested in mystery. I don't like them because they can't go from A to B to C in a linear way. But you know what? If we can get them to sit down and at least begin to talk to them, there may, may be the chance that they'll get better too. So there's things to like and things not to like. But here's the thing. In every generation people feel dissatisfaction. They feel that because it's our sinfulness. In this particular generation, our sinfulness is boiling up. Now, this is very broad strokes in these ways. If there's a fifth or a sixth, okay. But you, know, you don't have to be perfect in order to do this. You just need to be kind of able. You just got to kind of pay attention to the world. Okay? So my confidence in reading this book was... <clears throat> We've spent a decade together. I mean, if you've made use of your opportunities, we've had as many as 22 Bible studies a week led by pastors here. You know, we're about eight, nine right now. But you've had a decade of taking stuff in. I mean, you've had a decade of having Jesus jammed into you. The next step is to engage this thoroughly and explicitly. Okay? So it wasn't an accident, the text I read to you this morning. This is from 1 John. This is a pastoral epistle. This is how the church is supposed to work. By this we know that we're of the truth. And one of the things we read about was what the truth is this, this last time in the beauty chapter. And reassure our hearts before him. When our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. So a bit of self-reflection. But we receive from him whatever we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Okay, so it's not just the knowing, but the doing. That's great Hebrew talk. You can never separate your hand from your lips, from your heart. So it's both starting at verse 19. Okay, and you can read all the way to verse 24. All who keep his commandments or his bidding abide in him. If you're a Christian, you actually don't have any choice about this. And yes, I am aware. I am aware you need to care for yourself. I'm aware that you need to care for your families. I need, I, I'm aware that you need to care for your congregation. I'm aware that you need to care for the greater Christian church. I'm also aware that Jesus never s did all of that and then never stopped with the impulse to go forward. Okay? So what we've tried to do over a decade is give you a rhythm to your life that you would practice regularly, and yes, you're going to have ups and downs. Your family's going to be sick, people are going to lose jobs, your kids are going to get in trouble. We know all that's coming. We know the, the trick is to be community in the midst of that happening to you. And still then, be able to think about people everywhere else. And at some point, you know, you just have to do this. At some point, you just, you just, you just, you're not Christian if you don't do this. At some point, you just, there's just no other choice. This is what the church is. So, part of to do that with some intention is to just think about not what you're thinking about, not what you're thinking about, but to think about what other people are thinking about. And if you just pick up the newspaper and read it, this is what people are thinking about. Most people, most places. Yes, there can be some other things, but most people, most places, no justice, no peace. What else is the election about but justice? About racial justice, about economic justice, about who has what? What else is it? That's all people are talking about. That's all people are talking about. That's all there is right now, right? Or what is it? Both candidates are making a pitch for who can change and unite the nation. Who's got a better job? Who, what else is that but community?
That's all it is. That's what people want. Okay? Anyway, that's sort of my broad sort of, if you can just sort of keep this, and you know, we knew it would make you uncomfortable. We underestimated how uncomfortable you would be. But we knew it would make you uncomfortable because it takes you off your game. You gotta learn to do something else now. And you don't have any choice. Jesus' last words, go teach everything to everybody, everywhere. Everything to everybody, everywhere. That's, the, that's, that's Matthew 28. Question? So what does he want most of all in his life? Right. He basically says to you, my life is utterly oppressed. Right. Yeah, because, yeah, exactly. So this is broken. And what he wants is this. And if he gets that, then he'll get this. Yeah, you're making great sense. The, what you don't want to do is somehow say that you'll never get to the sin and redemption conversation because that's the conversation you need to get to. No, I know you're not. I just want to make very clear that what you are saying and what you're not saying. What you're talking about is what your starting point is. So this doesn't work. If you died tonight, would you think you'd go, do you think, would you go to heaven? I mean, people have no interest in... It doesn't work in this generation at all. It's a, it's a, if it worked, you can argue about whether it ever worked or whether it worked in the generation... It doesn't work in the present generation. Because you have so many presuppositions, and if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? The presumptions are, there's a heaven, there's a God, there's, there, you're going somewhere. I mean, the presumptions are so, so, uh, the, the presumptions are so thick, those aren't the questions that people are asking. So what I sort of encourage you to do is to, to talk to, and this is what Jesus did, I mean, here, the, you know what the funny thing is? This is what Jesus did. When Jesus goes to the woman at the well, and she said, she says, you got a God, I got a God. And then she says, you worship over there in Jerusalem, and I worship up there in Mount Gerizim. Jesus doesn't say, I don't know if you know this, but the only church around is the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate. And what will be really important for you is to get to membership. Now, membership works this way. There was the Prussian Union in 1854, and it was a forced exodus of pastors from Germany. However... If you, I mean, he doesn't start that way. He goes, he says, that's interesting. Tell me about what you do up on Mount Gerizim. I mean, see, Jesus doesn't have this prepackaged thing that he's going to force down throat. He, and this is, you know, if I, could, if I could get you to do one thing, here's what I would, and I'm, here's what I would, Barb, I'm coming back to you. What I, one, of, one of the most striking things for me, even in this place, is that everybody asserts and nobody asks questions. Ask questions. The arrogance of always asserting that you know somebody's position. I mean, the presidential debate, if you watched any of them, make a note. On both sides, 
that was an exercise in asserting something other than what was said. So somebody says A, and then somebody says, will you believe B? And then somebody says, I don't believe B. Will you believe C? And then that means you believe D. I mean, it was, it was an exercise in not asking a question and not answering a question. Could, what would you do in the next four years to make America energy independent? Well, in the next 10 years, what I would do, that's how they both started. I mean, I'm not picking anybody. I'm just saying nobody can listen and nobody can ask a question. Everybody just asserts, asserts, asserts all the time. We do this in the church too. Did you know you're a damn sinner? That's not even on people's radar. They don't know who they are. They don't know what damn means, and they have no idea what sin is. You know, I had a couple in for premarital counseling. Most people are living together. We always run through the sixth commandment. We don't say, thou shalt not commit adultery. Didn't everybody ever tell you this? We say, wow, you got a little bit of a head start on the baby Jesus. Now, if he would have... If he would add his way, this is how it would have worked. And then we sort of explain what the family is supposed to look like and how that's an icon of Christ in the church. And this guy said, nobody has ever told me that before. I mean, he never had any idea that inside the church, there's a God who actually has lined up the way your life should be. He just had no idea. Not a bad guy. He just, nobody ever told him. So you have so many presuppositions about the world, about your lives, it's so one of the problems of knowing too much. It's part of a problem of being too good. You have so, so you need to loosen up a little bit. You sort of got to backtrack. Um, I told Pastor Gainig, you know, one of his problems is, is he's, he's, in this, he's in Scotland right now visiting with David Brown, who is this unbelievably brilliant guy. I mean, I would love to be, you know, there are probably over two good bottles of claret about right now going toward whatever is next on the list. But uh, Gainig is in this uptick of, you know, he, he was at a conference on Monday. He went to a conference with a bunch of guys from Oxford and Cambridge and presented a paper and, and got rave reviews. And then on Tuesday, he meets with David Brown to talk about his dissertation. He's on this uptick of where he's learning more than he's ever learned before in his life. And he can't help himself. He's starting to talk like an academic. So I had to have him sit down and say, there, there, boy, and sort of pat him on the head and say, you know, occasionally you'll need to speak English again to the congregation. So, um, you know, because what happens is, is you get to know so much that you can't talk like a normal human being anymore. You're abnormal human beings in the world. And what I'm trying to get you to do is talk like normal human beings again. This is how normal human beings talk. I know that you can cite scripture passages. I know you can. But that's not where normal human beings are. And by normal, I mean sinful, lost, never heard they shouldn't live together, don't know they shouldn't steal from work. Go ahead. You know what strikes me so odd about your question? You, you push wheelchairs at the convalescent center once a week, right? Yeah, so I mean, I have a hard time. So here's what you're telling me, and I'm just being real honest with you. You're saying to me, yeah, but see, and you know, and you know what, and you know what? I don't care, because here's the thing. You're telling me that you have a troubled life and there's so much going on and you're, you're tired and there's too much to do. And yet, my observation of you is that you're actually doing it, okay? But see, see now, so, so maybe the disconnect is, maybe, maybe I'm not making clear what I'm asking, or maybe you're presuming that I'm asking more than I'm actually asking. Here's the thing. If everybody in this congregation did just one thing, okay? Or let me just, let's just, we'll start the timer now. I can't read my watch anymore because my eyes are too bad. Is it the 17th of October? You know what I need? One of those Rolexes that has the big magnifying thing for Christmas. How many day shopping days to I need one of the Rolexes with the big mag. I mean, I, if just if anybody's thinking about what I might need for Christmas, it would be the one with the big magnifying thing. Oh, you know what? You're a bad woman. 
See that? See how she's trying to help build community? It doesn't seem to be working for me, but... Uh, um, let me put the clock on you. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. You, Donna, this year. I shouldn't give you this publicly, but I will. Just be nice to one person in the next year. 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 Well, no, see, but see, now, it's very good that you have that reaction, because that's exactly my point, which is, I think you hear me asking for something that I'm not asking for. And so you hear this kind of in the way of the law, not the way of the gospel. All I'm asking you, I'm not, I'm not asking you to take over the People's Resource Center. I'm asking you, when you shop next, to throw a pack of diapers in and drop them off on your way home. It'll take 12 minutes and $12. Okay, that's all I'm asking. See, I think, I think this is part of the disconnect, okay? Go ahead. Yeah, that was the whole Nowen book. That was the whole point. That's why we did community, and then we did beauty, and now we're doing what this would classically be known as evangelism. I mean, there's a reason we did these th things in a row. Boom, boom, boom. I'm not asking you. I'm not giving you one more thing to do. In fact, in many cases, perhaps in your case, I might be asking you, and this is what you have to ask the questions about, I might be asking you to do less. Okay? I might be asking you to do less, but maybe do that really well. So here's, here's what I'm thinking. Maybe you could find just one person to bring, just one in the next year, just one, just one in the next year that you might be able to talk to about the little baby Jesus. So let's shoot for Christmas of, what year is this? Is this eight? Well, we'll shoot for Christmas of 09, okay? But by Christmas of 09, you'd find one. It doesn't have to be somebody off the street, just somebody you bump into. Christmas of 09, you'd say, hey, you just want to come to church today at Christmas? It's Christmas. Everybody goes to church. It's beautiful. Mueller, he plays that organ thing, and those kids, you know, they're in red and with candles, and if nobody catches on fire, it's great. <laughs> I mean, see, so what have you done? All you've done is talked about a beautiful thing. Because there's this deep trust, and this is the great thing about being Lutheran. We have this deep trust that the Lord's Word does what it says. So we're just trying to go on. It's like x-rays. We're just trying to expose people to it, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I need to remember. Sorry. A Saturday? You just do your bit. Right, you just do your bit. No, you got gotcha. I encourage you um, to do is, and part of the thing is, is if you just start to think about these things, part this is like this is like going to France on vacation. It's good for you to know that they eat snails. I mean, if you don't know they eat snails, you'll maybe woefully surprised. On the other hand, some of you may actually like to eat snails, right? So part of the exercise here is you need to do a little work. I mean, Jesus gives you a little bit of work to do, but all he's really asking you to do is to pay attention. So one of the things I sort of asked you to begin to think about, and you know, I'm not, it's not that I've like so bought into these categories that I think they're exhaustive. It's just how everybody's talking. And here's the thing, you could read the New York Times cover to cover for three years and you'd roughly come out with this. So let's just cut ahead a little bit. We'll just cheat off Wright's notes, okay? But what I, what I want you to be able to do is to talk to people, not about like, if you died tonight, do you think, but if, what you say to people is, 
this was Faye's great comment. I'm glad my husband, where's she? She's not here. But she was here when she said, my husband loves me. This was the, the sleeping around day. Yeah, my husband loves me. Well, she found it anyway, so. Whoa, so this is not only Carol, this is Al, too. We better be, Carol? This is like those fancy European restrooms where you go in one door and you find all kinds of people. Put Al there, Carol's here. That's good. Right. That's all right. Well, we at least understood her in a good way. But what I, what I want you to start to do is learn to say, I want you to begin to, uh, I want you to begin to say things not like a King James Version. I'm not criticizing the King James Version. It's just that people don't speak that way anymore. So you should be able to say stuff like, oh, Jesus loves poor people, or even Jesus favors poor people. Read the Gospels. There's almost nobody he'd rather hang around than poor people. So if you aren't hanging around with any poor people, you just at least need to, unless you have Donna's thing going, because she's pushing wheelchairs over at the convalescent center, but then, you know, somebody else have to take care of the poor people unless they want to swap wheelchairs for grocery bags. But see, you can begin to, this, do you see how different this is than talking about, than memorizing some lines and then kind of dropping it on somebody? What you actually have to do is engage people, listen to them, and you need to talk like a real person. Like, this gets almost anybody's attention that Jesus is unfair. Now, we've talked about this for years. I mean, I always ask the kids every year in confirmation, if you had your choice, do you want a fair Jesus or an unfair Jesus? Every kid wants a fair Jesus, right? Because you grew him up and you taught him that fair was good. Well, it can be good. It can also be the absolute worst thing because if you're fair, you get what you deserve. If you get what you deserve, you deserve to be squashed. So if you have your choice, now add your Bible verse to it, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners... Jesus did the most unfair thing he ever did, which was he still died for us. It's horribly unfair. That Jesus dies for your sins is the most unfair thing that ever happened in the history of the world, okay? But see, you, if you start by saying to somebody, Romans 8, 5, 8 is what you need to talk about, nobody will pay any attention to you because they don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe the Bible has anything to say. The Bible is just a nice book. You can get it in a hotel. Like, that thing always spooks me. See? But, but the thing is, is this is the way that you get in. Yes, Betty? Yes. That's right. The, the people, people need all kinds of judgment. One of the things we tell the vicars is at a, at, a, at, a, at a funeral, you don't need to preach an awful lot of law. The law is lying right before them in the casket. The people just don't need an awful lot of law at a funeral. It's all there already. We've pushed it to the front. All right? So you can engage people where they are. At that point, what they hope for is beauty. Go ahead. Right, good. Beautiful. Right, good. Right, so let me just ask you, which one of those is that? Yeah, I asked. All right, so here's the thing. It's all four of them, you know why? Because there was nothing uglier in fact, I, had a, I was falling asleep the other night, and I had this flashback of, I don't know, they didn't show it much, and I was glad that they didn't much. But did you see, do you remember these people who were sort of casting themselves off rather than burned to death? That, for me, is just a horrible, horrible image. Actually, I just, uh, the way I came to, this is on a side note, the way I came to grips with 9-11 was the Springsteen album that came out after that. If you ever listen to that, start to finish, that is cathartic. I mean, we talk, it's just, it's remarkable. So what people are saying is, 
that was the most, one of the most horrible, ugly things I've ever seen. Now just back up. If you read the Wall Street Journal this year on 9-11, you still see full-page ads where people say, in memory of those who were lost on 9-11. And they list, I mean, there are companies who list they lost 30, 40, 50, 60 people. Do you know what that did, you know? And then all the people who were undocumented and people didn't really know there and they're working as waiters and waitresses and busboys and they don't know where they go and they, they're not on the rolls and they're all lost. And imagine what that's like. So, so community just gets shattered. And then your first question, which was your presenting question, but not the real, which is how can that happen? How can people do that to people? And how can God let that happen, right? And then the result is, I can't believe in a God like that. So all you have to do is retranslate people's experience. Now the good thing is, is you can take any one of those. So now, now see, now you've got, you've got four ways in. And this is actually the chapter day, which I've done nothing with. But um, part of the question, the, the question of the chapter is, <clears throat> absent God in Christ, people make up their own gods. So people make up a god that's everywhere but doesn't really care, or a god that stands back from the universe. But, okay, so now I ask you, which is, if I asked you what's the central thing, if you could say one thing in 10 words or less about Christianity, if you could say one thing in 10 words or less, five words or less would be better. If you could just say one thing about the faith, you say one thing about the church, one thing, just say one thing about Christ, what would you say? Five words or less. It is and it isn't, because you can't say, you know, yeah, that's two, that's three. If you could say one thing about Christ, because here's the thing, you're not, and let me just sort of, you're here every week, you come to Bible study, your family lives the way, you're always at the Eucharist. So you have some exposure to beauty. So just, just, say, just say one thing. If you're going to say one thing about Christ, what would you say? Okay, now why would you say that? What's comforting about Christ? What's the most comforting thing? Just chase it. Just ask the question, chase it. What's the most comforting thing you would say? Okay, so now we have to press a little bit because now here's part of it. This is my translation thing about, yeah, you can explain. So you can explain this. Here's what you're saying. I know where to find beautiful things. I know where to find community. I do that in a place of spirituality. But what you have to do is you have to pull that. That's too much for people. You just, what you, this is just bait in the water. Okay, so what you want to say to people is, your initial question was about how could that happen or what do you do on that day? So what's a short, what's the single thing? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do is just help you practice your lines. I'm just trying to sharpen your lines. So where's Christ? I know you are. But, 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 but what I don't want you to do, I don't want you to either feel pressure from me or despair. Because the thing is, it's all there. It's just too sophisticated. You're, you're in the gaining syndrome now, which is you know too much. So Alfred North Whitehead. The only simplicity to be trusted is a simplicity on the far side of complexity. So you have a, sort of a child's faith, then you have this big blow where you've learned so much over the last 10 years, and you have to relearn to talk as a child, but with all the resources you've got over the last 10 years. So here, here's the answer. Here's one answer. Here's one answer. One answer. My answer would be, Christ is in the towers as they come tumbling down, which is Christ is in the suffering. Christ is in the suffering. Christ is in the towers as they come tumbling down. Christ is in the suffering. Is that five words or less? Yeah, it's five words or less. Christ is in the suffering. How do you know? Tell me the story of Jesus. God loves his creation so. His creation falls away. He wants to rescue his creation. He rescues his creation by taking flesh. People ignore him. In fact, people do horrible things to other people. In fact, you know what they do? They drive nails through you and let you hang out in the elements with the birds pecking your eyes out and people spearing you. 
and taught you, and they let you die that way. And sometimes you'd last two, three, four days that way of utter horror. So, like, what's the worst way to die? Like, going off the top of the World Trade Center, and you know what? 32 feet per second per second, you're dead in about 16 seconds. Or you sort of hang in the elements. Oh, by the way, let's add all the sins of heaven and earth put on you, and things utterly demonic attacking you, and there's nothing you can do. Okay? No, but you have to, you have to suffer, you have to, you have to bring it down too, which is, as, which is you say, so you have to go slowly. Okay, so all you can say is, Christ is in the suffering. We know all about that. We know about Christ in the suffering. Okay? This is why, go ahead, just hold it. Just let me say one more thing. This is why, if all you talk about is the resurrection to somebody who's in deep suffering, they can't hear you. Because you're talking about something else. There's this famous book called Christus Victor that was written in the 20th century that dominated Christology. Christ the Victor dominated Christology for about 30 years. The problem is, is it didn't speak at all to the poor, the oppressed, the suffering, the maimed, because they didn't know anything about Christ the Victor. Whoever poses this question doesn't know anything about Christ the Victor. What, what they do know is about suffering. And so the answer is, Christ is in the suffering. He's a very different God than the ones you read about. It's not a God who's impersonal, doesn't engage. It's not about a nameless God who's everywhere. This is a God who's in the suffering. Christ knows what it is to suffer. So you look for a point of contact, right? And that's, that's where you can begin to deliver. You're right, they're not going to hear all that we've said. This is why we only assign Donna one person for the next 14 months. This is, you could take your time over coffee, right? Because what do we think? What was the old way to do this? You memorize 52 things, and you like, get them to shut up, and then you just fire away at them. People have no interest in that. They don't even listen to a whole song through on their iPod. You've got to say it in five words or less. It doesn't mean you don't have anything else to say. It just means that you've got to find a way to say it that will grip them. Well, that's just showing off. You might sip your coffee in between those two thoughts. Then you get a new five words if you sip your coffee in between those two thoughts. When you're talking to somebody, you might pause for a moment. Crisis in the suffering, then you can reload. Yeah, but you, good. But if you, if you say that too quickly, what people will feel... Exactly. You've dismissed their suffering. You're just like the church. You never pay attention. You never ask questions. You only assert. You don't know what I'm going through. Can you hear the conversation happening right in front of you? Right.
Well, it, right. 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 That's right. There's a reason why social justice got a bad name. Actually, looking back, you can explain it now. Actually, you have the resources to explain it. Because in a modern world, there was no possibility for contact with God. And so the only... There wasn't any point in saying that anymore. And the best you could do is drop a rose for somebody. In a postmodern world, um, I grow roses as an antidote to evil. I started growing roses about seven years ago as an antidote to evil. It's a window into the divine. It's very different than dropping up a rose and saying, have a nice day. So you're exactly right. What's happened is you're a great example of how the postmodern world has opened up the possibility for what exactly what you're saying. The thing is, though, you need to, you and I, need to learn to do this with the people that we've got, and not the people we haven't got. Yes, you've been very patient. Finally, we get to the text for today. Thank you very much. So I'll give you the short answer, which is, here's the short answer. What was the, what was the text about today? Chapter, the fifth chapter, what we read. What was it about? Right. And here, exactly. And so here's the problem. People, absent a God, they invent their own gods. So in Wheaton, particularly, you have a God who's moving everybody around like pieces on a chessboard. God's in control of everything. That's not a biblical God. So what you would do, for example, this is great. Okay, so this is a great question. So here's, here's, here, you bump into somebody, and they have a deficient, he just gave you two examples, but there's a zillion examples of bad, bad definitions of God. So, and this is, a, this is a horrible thing in Wheaton. It's a horrible, horrible thing that people think God is, this is, this is standard preaching in Wheaton. God has drawn this line, and you spend your whole life trying to get on it. And if you're not on it, he'll probably damn you or at least punish you really good. Okay? Because he's in control of everything, and if you don't get on this line, ooh, that'll be the end of you. There's no God like that in Scripture. Here's the God in Scripture. I really love you. You're mine. Love me, love your family, and do what you want. So for your particular person, this is very much very similar to the person that Kirby's with at work. They have this very constricted notion of what the world is, which is almost an enslaved notion. So what you could do for them is you could say, well, Jesus isn't like that at all. That's your lead. Jesus isn't like that at all. Jesus, from what I know about Jesus, he spends most of his time setting people free which rings with justice, right? What Jesus wants most is to set people free. 
Know the Son and you'll be free indeed, right? It's in the text. But my guess is, well, let me ask you, does your friend love the God who designs every last move in his or her life or just want to be free of that kind of a God? Okay, that's a good. So the, your next question is, here's a very simple question. Do you love that kind of God or hate that kind of God? Perfect. So, so that's a great postmodern thing because they don't know if there's a God, but there's a God who's controlling everything all the time. Yeah. That's a perfect, that's a perfect postmodern, like illogical, drives me crazy. That's what I hate about postmodern. I'm on the record as there's something I hate about the postmoderns. Okay, this is great. They don't believe in God, but if they did believe in him, they wouldn't like him very much, right? This is great, though, because then what you can say is, very simply, this is, so you're right here, which is you say, God's not like that at all. He's not just bossing you around. I mean, you can say, did you know that religion is from the Latin word for slavery? You know that because that was in a sermon once here. Jesus is this, uh, I know, I know. You think I'm just throwing that away, right? I bet you can remember the M&M line that was in the sermon, though. Oh, never mind. Okay, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. But see, you have, the, you have the tools to work into that. Or you could say, I wouldn't believe in a God like that either. Perfect! So now you're on the way. So now you, you equally hate God together. Okay, so that's good, because I would hate that kind of God too. Hate that kind of God. That's a false God. The whole point of the chapter today was what kind of God you believe in. And you're, you all, what you all need to do is think about what kind of God is that you believe in. So you can hate that God together. Now you've got common ground. Okay, so now you're, now you're in the same place where Jen was, which is let's find a, let's find a kind of God that we like. You know what I would like in a God? A God that loves me in spite of myself. A God who's with me when I'm suffering. A God who has an answer to death. A God who sets me free. This is easy. This is like falling off a log. If you can just sort of translate down, you've got to translate everything down, and if you can kind of hit these categories, most of the time you'll find people being interested. Most of the time. This isn't like some automatic thing, but this is just a way to go through life and talk to people about the good stuff that are happening in the church. See, it's not that you think kind of you can't do it, but you actually can do it. If you just sort of slow down, ask a few questions, kind of pay attention. All this does is give you a grid for looking at the world. That's all this is doing. And, you know, we didn't talk about the lesson today, but all the lesson today was about if people, people make up their own gods. Absent a god, people just make up their own gods. And you, what basically you want to say is, whoa, that's not a very good God. I mean, are you really interested in a God who lives in trees? Who is a tree? I mean, are you really, is that really good? Do you really, is, is it really satisfying to have a God who gave the world a spin like a basketball and then walked away from it? Is that really satisfying? Is that helpful in any way? It's not helpful in any way. A God who has his back turned to you is like a husband with his back turned to you, careful. So, you know... I mean, do you really, I mean, is it, or do you re, are you really interested in having friends who maybe sent you a Christmas card once but haven't paid attention to you for 10 years? Is that really helpful? I think it's very helpful. So what you need to do is, and this will be sort of your job, which is you begin, to, but, but it's not hard. It's not a hard job. You just begin to talk about the God that you know. Now, obviously, you need to be here every week in church and at the Eucharist. Why is that? Because you need to remember who you are and you learn a little bit more and you get settled, and when you're suffering, you get comforted, see? If you don't do that, you're in no shape to help anybody else, which was Donna's very good point, you know? If you don't take care of yourself, you're not, or you with your mom being sick. I mean, if you get sick because you spend so many times hours with your mom, you're no good to your mom, right? So you have to pace yourself. See, we get this notion, and, and really it comes from an impatience and actually an unfaith in God. We have, this, we have this thing that we have to get it done, and we'll get it done. If we could just get the formula, we could get it done. It's just, that's mindless. Yeah, but what happened? We had to drink and we had to drink with, beer with him and smoke with him. And now he's in, right? Okay, so there it is. Well, then we need to drink and smoke more with him. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, right. Well, we'll drop off some cigarettes and a keg of beer tonight on the way home. Right after we go to the People's Resource Center. 
But see, this is, but, but, but your husband, not to put him on the spot, but this is a great example of, I mean, I can remember Pastor Ganey going out and have a cigarette with somebody from the new members class. I'm serious. I'm serious, okay? Because he did it, he did it, he took one for the cause. He had to smoke a cigarette in the parking lot because these guys are standing up smoking. They're like, whoa, you can smoke. He's like, man, I'd love to smoke. And normally I only smoke in Europe, but, you know, which is a good, that's a good habit to have. You can only smoke. That's why I, I only smoke when I'm in Europe because then you don't smoke very much. It's great. So, but he said, hey, but for the little baby Jesus, I'll have to have one. Well, then now he's putty in their hands, right? This is great. Yeah, just meet people where they are. All right, well, that's plenty. I mean, we're way over, but try, I'm just trying to, what I'm trying to do is eliminate a little bit of your discomfort and just trying to get you to kind of rethink this. There's a reason for this. I mean, this isn't standard Lutheran fare. I get that. I read it. I get that. However, it is valuable for you if you'll just give it a chance. Just give it a chance. Just relax and give it a chance. The world's a different place, and we need to engage the different place that the world is. All right? Sorry, that was way longer than we normally go. Um, so, all right, well, let's pray. Let's go.